0: wish you all a very good morning and invite you to open your Bibles to the book of James in the New Testament, where we are going to briefly look at a passage there in James 5 to set the stage for our study together this morning. As has been said, we are blessed with a number of individuals who are visiting with us, and you are encouraging us by your presence, even if you don't even say anything, even if we can't see the smiles on your faces. We appreciate you being here and being an encouragement to each of us and the work that we're trying to do here at Northfield Boulevard and the work that we're trying to do more broadly in the kingdom for the cause of our Father and His Son. I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5 while you're opening there to consider the fact that there are certain things and topics and words or phrases that are just Almost necessarily religious, and one of those words or phrases is the concept of confession. We see the word confession used in non biblical or non religious circles from time to time, but usually it's almost tongue in cheek where the idea of saying, Well, you need to confess what you've done wrong, and someone joking about something. But confession is a very serious concept and one that deserves some attention together today. Let's get right into the fact that when we're talking about confession, that Bible students are right to acknowledge or to ask the question, what confession are you talking about? Because we as students of God's Word point out that there's more than one confession that is required of us as Christians, and we need to make sure that we are familiar with which confession we're talking about. It is, it seems to me, in the world in which we live, popularized on TV or talked about in religious circles, that the confession of sin is that which we are the most familiar with. And when you think about that, you think about some man sitting in a box and then he's shielded so that you can't see on the other side the person talking. A lot of times when people hear the word confession, this is the image that comes to their mind, right? They think about the man sitting in the confessional booth as is taught in some religious circles. And you go to that man and he tells you what to do in order to receive the forgiveness of your sins. Well, we know that that is a non-biblical concept. That's not the, the construct or the focus of our study today. We know that we can confess our sins to each other as we talk about and confess first and foremost our sins to God. But when we think about the confession of sin, when we think about confessing our sin, I think that it's important for us that we understand that it merits two key observations. Number one, to confess sin is indeed biblical in nature. And I would go as far as to say that if you do not confess sin in your life at some point in your life, then there's no way for you to inherit the kingdom of God. Because there is a direct connection between acknowledging, I messed up, I chose to sin, I chose to do something that is wrong, and therefore I'm asking someone or someones for forgiveness. For example, here in James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible tells us that confession of sin to our brothers and sisters is an important activity to be involved in. And it's not just an academic activity where we check the box and say, look at me, I have asked my brother or sister for the forgiveness of sin. But rather we are saying and imploring to one another, I'm sorry that I have let you down. I'm sorry that I've let God down, but it, but equally, I, I'm sorry that I've let you down. Confess your trespasses to one another. And he says, pray for one another So that you may be healed, so that the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man, that it avails much. You know, the fact is, is we hear certain phrases that you may think are biblical or are non-biblical, and you may wonder if it's found in the Bible. Uh, The phrase, confession, it's good for the soul, is a non-biblical statement, but it's true, is it not? That's not a biblical statement, but it's a biblical truth that confession is very good for your soul that without it your soul is tarnished with sin that without which is unable to achieve the forgiveness that comes from our God or comes from our brothers and sisters confession of sin to God in 1st John chapter 1 where it's good for the soul is again a non-biblical statement but it is essential John writes in 1 John chapter 1 in a passage that is familiar to many who are present here today where he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we need to appreciate that word if and we'll come back and talk about that a little bit later in our study this morning. But there's a second thing that is merited by the confession of sin. And that is something that is very important for us to make sure that we appreciate because we as members of the Lord's Church, especially if you grew up sitting on a pew or you've been a Christian for a long period of time, sometimes we forget some of the nuances of the beliefs of non-believers because even non-believers have beliefs or they have these Uh, notions about us as members of a church or as members of the church. And that is we need to acknowledge that the confession of sin is a post-baptism act. Let me say that one more time and hopefully you'll understand where I'm going here. That the confession of sin is a post-baptism act. The Bible says nothing about a person confessing sin and then being baptized. And I'm glad. <laughs> I hope you're glad about that too. Because can you imagine someone coming forward on a Sunday morning like this when we sing the invitation song? We say, if anybody wants to become a Christian, now's the opportunity. Well, there's always that opportunity unless you are no longer having that opportunity. But we offer that opportunity through an invitation song. I always say, by the way, if you decide throughout midway through the sermon that it's time for you to be baptized, we want all things to be done decently and in order. But I'll stop the sermon right here we'll baptize you right here and I'll pick up right where I left off <laughs> because we don't want to waste any time in getting to that but the fact of the matter is is if you were to come forward and say I want to be baptized we say okay well first we need you to take this blank sheet of paper and write down all of your sins some of us we'd be here for a long time right writing down all the things that we've done wrong all the times that we've thought wrong all the times that we treated someone uh badly but that's not something that is required of us now I would acknowledge, and you would probably too, that being baptized is, in essence, a confession of sin. You are saying, by your need to be baptized, I am a sinner. And so you're already confessing that you are in sin. But you do not have to list out all the things that you've done wrong in order to be baptized. Otherwise, why would you become a Christian in the first place? The fact is, is biblical passages commanding the confession of sin are addressed to believers. But the Bible does command, however, the confession of Christ as the Son of God, that we believe in Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Turn over, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10, to a passage that you probably already thought we were going to go to at some point in our study this morning, but I want to look at Matthew chapter 10, and I want to go back to verse 27 in just a moment, but I want to start in verse 32, and then we'll work backwards. Verses 32 and 33 are relatively familiar. Therefore, whoever confesses me, now this is Jesus speaking, whoever confesses me before men him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, which is the opposite of confession, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is one of the passages. It's not the only passage that we can turn to. Certainly, Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38, where we read from a few moments ago, reveal a confession of Jesus as the Christ. And incidentally, we are not confessing that we believe in Jesus. We are confessing that we believe that Jesus is the Christ or that Jesus is the Son of God. And the reason I point that out is because believing in Jesus doesn't take faith. Even people who are atheists, who do not believe in God, believe in Jesus of Nazareth as an historical figure. But we believe that Jesus is more than just a man. We believe that he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that throughout Acts chapter 7, as Brother Caleb talked about in the introduction to the Lord's Supper, was to come and be the Redeemer of mankind. And incidentally, when it comes to the confession of Jesus Christ, it is not to be a passive or quiet confession. I know that because of what is written in verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops and announce it to the world. There's no such thing as being secret Christians. Now, the the caveat to that is sometimes in the world, there are provisions put in place or prohibitions put in place by various, usually dictatorships, that may make it necessary to be a little bit quieter in your faith. By and large, the majority of the world is free in the sense that we can practice Christianity without fear of any uh, conflict from our government. And for that, we are thankful, and for that, we are prayerful that it continues to exist. And so for us, certainly in the Western world, where those freedoms uh, are maintained... We do not have the luxury of being private Christians. I've known of people who say, well, my Christianity is very private and I keep that to myself. Christianity does not need to be kept to oneself, but needs to be broadcasted, Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, from the rooftops. Because we are pleased to be Christians. We are excited to be Christians. And as our brother Ken led us in prayer today, we want to advertise that to others. We want to share that with others. Matthew chapter 16, just a couple of pages over in your Bibles, talks about this as well, where Peter confesses Jesus as the Son of God. And in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 15, the Bible reads, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter there made a confession that identified Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and it was motivated by faith and not by speculation. Rather, we confess Jesus the Christ as being the Christ because of our faith, not because of a speculation, not because of, well, just in case he is the Christ, I'll go ahead and confess him as the Christ. That's not the confession that we make. When we say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, when someone is baptized and we say, Do you believe? Because that question is always asked. When that answer is, Yes, I believe. I believe that He is the Christ. I believe that He is the Messiah. It is a broadcasted confession motivated by faith. Let me go furthermore and talk about confession as being mandatory because it is not optional. And when it comes to the mandatory nature of confession, I would argue, and I think you would agree with me, but if you don't, hopefully you will by the time that we see what the Scripture teaches, that both confessions are necessary in order to go to heaven. The confession of sin... And the confession of Christ. Those are the two confessions that we're talking about. The confession of sin that happens once we are Christians. Because those are st- statements, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, for example, that are addressed to believers. The confession of Christ, as is found in Acts chapter 8 or Matthew chapter 16 or Matthew chapter 10, which is for those of us who are wanting to become Christians. Without the confession of sin, it is impossible to receive forgiveness You can't go to God and say, God, I'm not going to acknowledge the wrong that I have done, but I sure hope that you'll forgive me of it. No, we acknowledge that we have done wrong. We say with humility, uh, but yet with boldness, I'm sorry for what I have done. Will you please forgive me? Notice if you were the key word, if. It's a powerful word. God is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins. If we confess them, if there is no confession of sin, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, I talked about how we are glad that we don't have to confess our sins before being baptized. I'm also glad that God does not require us to confess to each other every sin that we've ever committed. Number one, we wouldn't get much done on certain days, we'd just be so busy talking to one another about the sins that we've been committing. But ultimately, it is to God that we go and say, please forgive me, I'm sorry, I've done wrong. Furthermore, without the confession of Jesus as the Christ, it's impossible to please God as well. And there are a number of reasons why that is the case, but let me suggest to you three reasons why that's the case. And while we think about that, I've often said this that if a person were to come forward, and I never had it happen, but if a person were to come forward or a person were to call me or a person were to to study with me and then say, you know what, I'm ready to become a Christian, and then I say, okay, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And then they say, no, what am I going to do? Well, I'm I'm probably going to scratch my head first and wonder where I went wrong in my teaching. (laughs) But ultimately, I'm not going to baptize them. I'm not going to baptize someone who says, I don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Because number one, what good would it do? And number two, it's I'm actually doing a disservice to the person by baptizing them. So the fact of the matter is, is we need to understand a number of key things. But number one is that the confession of Christ is an outward expression of an inward belief. Now, that sounds remarkably familiar to another phrase that is used in denominations, but that's not what I'm talking about here. And to prove that, look at Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 10. And I'm not about trying to prove what I say is right, but I do want to prove what the Scriptures say is right. And in Romans chapter 10, in verse 6, the Bible says, The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart... Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word is in two spots. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes in their righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I love that passage. Because I think it teaches us that it's from the heart that we believe, and it's from the mouth that we confess what's in the heart. That our confession, our public statement of a belief in Jesus as the Christ, is what I believe deep down. Because that comes from faith, as we talked about a few moments ago. If a person believes but doesn't ever say that he or she believes, what good does that do? And that's why in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian was asked by Philip, do you believe? Philip wanted to ascertain whether he believed in order to baptize him, and of course he says, yes, I believe. I believe that Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's real, and I believe that he died for my sins, all those things that we would say when a person is confessing Jesus as the Christ. Secondly, the confession of Jesus as the Christ actually establishes a connection to the Father. That was what was taught in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, I take it very personally. If you do not confess me, I will not confess you before the Father. If you do confess me, I'll confess you before the Father. Furthermore, in Matthew chapter 27, I'm reminded of, Uh, a verse that is there in Matthew chapter 27 in verse 51 behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earthquake the rocks were split you remember what was happening here Jesus had died Jesus had laid down his life and now we have this ultimate connection to the Father by way of Jesus where the veil is torn from top to bottom and it's a picture of of what was to come in this relationship that we would share with our Father in Heaven. And then thirdly, I want to appreciate the fact that the confession of Jesus as the Christ is required before a person can be baptized. It is important to note on this particular subject that when we think about the confession of Jesus being required, it is important to point out, we're not talking about baptism an awful lot in our study today, But for those who may be visiting or for those who may be listening, one needs to understand that baptism is essential to salvation. And that puts us at great odds with virtually every denomination that is in existence. There are a few denominations that will preach the truth on this particular subject. But we need to understand that we are in the minority as churches go in a generic sense that we teach that baptism is essential for salvation. And the reason for that is because of passages like Matthew chapter 28, or Mark chapter 16, or Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 16, or 1 Peter chapter 3. And the list goes on and on. And even Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38, where we read from at the outset of our study together this morning, at the outset of our services Teach that apparently baptism is necessary. I love the way Acts 8 works because Acts 8 is a is a beautiful text to use when you're trying to teach someone who is new to the gospel message. Because it tells us that he spoke Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then at some point in the course of the teaching of Jesus, the Ethiopian made the connection between the teachings of Jesus and the importance of water baptism. At no point is it recorded in Acts chapter 8 where Philip says, you need to be baptized in water. You don't see that statement that is made. But somehow the Ethiopian, either by A, just by pure coincidence, thought about baptism and water, or B, because it was taught when he taught Jesus, ...concluded that baptism in water was necessary for salvation. The Ethiopian unit didn't have access to Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4... ...didn't have access to Acts chapter 2 verses 36 through 38... ...but we are familiar with those texts which teach us the importance of water baptism... ...for the forgiveness of our sins. Let me suggest finally that when we think about confession... ...that confession is not a one-time event... And that's true for both confessions. And that's something that I need to be reminded of as much as I hope you need to be reminded of as well. When it comes to the confession of our sins, when will we stop confessing our sins? Well, I guess when we stop sinning. (laughs) And unfortunately for most of us, as we acknowledged two weeks ago in an invitation talk, we are a very sinful creature and we sin frequently. And so until we stop sinning, we will always be confessing our sins. Now, it is true that you hope that as you mature and grow as a Christian, that you hopefully you confess your sins maybe a little bit less in in spiritual year 30 versus year 1. The point being, hopefully we grow to the point where even though we may still do wrong... We don't do it as easily as it came natural to us because we've worked for 30 years at trying to change our spiritual trajectory with the blessings of God's grace. But this is also the case when it comes to the confession of Jesus the Christ. In fact, and this is the point that I want us to make and I want to drive home this morning, is that we are wrong to think that we only confess Jesus as the Christ when we first become Christians. It is true that it may be the only time that a preacher man is going to ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That may be the only time that those words will come out of his mouth in response to you coming forward or for you saying, I'm ready to become a Christian, a child of God. But we are to be individuals who confess Jesus on a daily basis through our words, through our priorities, through our examples. Let me spend just a moment talking about that. Number one, we confess Jesus Christ by our examples. Matthew chapter five, verse 16 is a favorite verse of mine. I know of one particular congregation that it has that uh, verse plastered on the door that when you go in and when you come out, you see Matthew five, verse 16, that when others see your good works or your beautiful works more literally, they may glorify the father in heaven. The whole point being that when we do good, we do it so that God is glorified and so that his will is magnified. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 is where the Apostle Peter writes on this subject and gives us some information that I think helps us with our study this morning. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, the Apostle says, Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 is in, ma- in many ways a fulfillment of Matthew 5, verse 16. Where Peter is saying the same thing that he was familiar with. We must fully maximize our good examples by highlighting Christ. Another way of putting that is is always use your example to magnify Jesus the Christ. When people compliment you and see you as being good and righteous, allow that to be an opportunity to show back to God the grace that has been bestowed on you. Uh, Rather than making it about you, consider phrases like, I'm a Christian, or the Bible says, or a recent Bible study, or a recent sermon, an everyday conversation. And incorporating that in trying to get those conversations going with others on the subject of spiritual things. Secondly, we confess Jesus Christ by our words. When you bring up a spiritual topic, you are confessing Christ. When you talk about Jesus, when you talk about the Bible, it's another way for you to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. When you invite someone to church services, when you invite someone to study the Bible, when you engage someone in a spiritual conversation that is about the church, its identity, its purpose, or about your life as a Christian, you are also in the process of confessing Jesus the Christ. And if you are a Christian and you haven't done these things recently... We need to beware. Luke chapter 9 and verse 26 is to me kind of a, a frightening verse. One that should kind of wake us up. But in Luke 9 verse 26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. Let's not be ashamed of Jesus. To talk about him, to talk of him. And to talk about him with others. That confession of Jesus must be a continual daily process. And thirdly, let me suggest that we confess Jesus Christ by the priorities that we set. Others will know what matters to you by way of your priorities. I, I knew a, a couple once who uh, their house was ransacked and was, uh, they were robbed. On a Sunday morning, and you know why they were robbed on a Sunday morning because their neighbors, who are the people who were uh, casing their house or watching, knew that every Sunday morning, at a certain time, the garage door opens, the car pulls out, they both get in the car and they go off somewhere. Well, they knew where they were going. But the fact is is we need to have habits that are so habitual that are so automatic. Not that we check the box automatic, don't get me wrong. But it need to be that when it comes to putting the church number one, that when we come to putting our brothers number one, that we make that our priority. That when it comes to a choice, do I put my brethren first or do I put my job first? Do I put the church first or do I put my recreation first? That it always comes down to the church, its people, its body. That's what becomes most important. Remember, Luke chapter 14 verse 26 is a serious passage. We used Luke 9 just a minute or so ago. But in Luke chapter 14, that's a serious passage where Jesus says, You must count the cost. You must understand what you are doing in service to me. He says in chapter 14 and verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. So confessing Jesus as the Christ is a very serious thing. And the vast majority of those who are present today have already made that confession. And I hope, especially as we've grown as Christians, that we understand that that confession is serious. And it's not something that we get to make one day and then renege on the next. We have to say, today it is important for me to believe in Jesus the Christ. Tomorrow it's important for me, and I will believe that and confess that and live that out for the rest of my life. And so I end with a classic question that the preachers of old would have asked and that I want to ask this morning. And that is, have you made the good confession? But as a part of our study this morning, the second question is, are you making the good confession? Both in the sense of, yes, I must confess my sins to God, but also I'm going to confess my faith in Jesus, both as the Christ in a pre-baptism venue and in a post-baptism life. Because I hope that we have proven from scriptures today that the idea of private life as a christian private faith is contrary to what the scriptures teach the fact is is jesus died for you and jesus died for me he died so that we can have hope he was buried and was resurrected on that third day so that we could have hope of new life and that by being baptized having confessed jesus as the christ you can walk in newness of life as is taught in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. I hope that you'll make that decision today. There are some who are here this morning that are not Christians, who have never been baptized. And perhaps you're at a point now where you say, I think it's time for me to make the correction. And we would love the opportunity to help you, whether that be committing yourself today and being baptized, or you want to study further and ask questions we are ready to address those questions. If as a child of God, having already done those things, you've already made the good confession, but you've not been confessing them as much as you should in your daily walk by your words and priorities and deeds, do the changes that are, make the changes that are necessary and do the things that are essential. If as a child of God, you need to make correction publicly or you simply just want prayers of brothers and sisters who will help you, Jesus does love you. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And it tells you as well. If we can help you in any way to become a Christian or a stronger child of God, let us know while we stand and while we sing.